powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. It's snowing anywhere else? I mean, I, I, I assumed it was all around Seattle and everywhere else, but when I woke up this morning and left... I was like, oh, snow. How lovely. Love that. And then I realized I would have to drive places. Bump, you're out in Monroe. I'm out in the country. You're out in the country. I got my lunch. Kissed the wife on the cheek. Of course. She goes, be careful with snow. And I go, hey, you're silly. It's not snowing. <laughs> you open the door. Open the door and First I look back at her. It. She looks at me like, yeah. I it's told snowing. you. <laughs> you were probably like, oh, it's barely coming down. Yeah. Wow, she's so sweet. Right. Being concerned about me. And then you got out there and had to like shovel your way you to know, your car. We'll drive that thing out of Monroe. Yeah. But eventually you got here and that's yeah, what really here. matters. And you got here just in time for us to have a conversation about roster building. And I know that when I say that, you're like, oh, this is really a fun conversation. But it is. Here's why. The Seahawks have a ton to spend. A ton to spend. Like that feeling of getting your very first paycheck and heading to the mall where anything is possible. Can you buy anything in the mall? No. But you're 16 years old. You've never had more than like $20 before. So $200 might as well be a million. That's kind of how it feels to be a Seahawks fan right now. You're looking at the number five Mm -hmm. overall pick, the highest pick John and Pete have ever had. And you've also got, you know, a a bunch of other picks on day one and day two of the draft for total. And then, of course, you have picks in the later rounds. You have the sixth or seventh most cap space. You have a lot, a lot to work with. Can they right the ship with team building in one off season? Bump, here's what inspires that. Number one is uh, we're going to talk about it, but they haven't really invested money in the most productive position groups, even though those position groups are all great. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, it was a, a question posed by a listener yesterday who said, hey, I saw the Eagles go from a wildcard team to a Super Bowl team in one off season, you know, what did they do? So we're going to talk about both. Let's start with where they're investing right now. You pointed this out during a four down territory, like a couple weeks ago when you were like, Hey, I love the guys that the Seahawks have in some of these groups. Like Quandre is great. Jamal is great when he's healthy. Uh, DK and Tyler, no one can say, you know, that they aren't two great receivers. However, it is notable that the Seahawks in their top five don't have any defensive or offensive linemen being paid. Yeah, and that's the issue. Did I just fix my voice in the mic right I now? I think you did. That was live? Well, no, well okay. you know, I didn't hear. hey, I didn't hear anything. Okay, cool. All right. Yes, <laughs> thank you. I did point that out. All right. Because you just compare. That's what you do. You look at other teams. And you got to spend money where you protect and get after the quarterback, and they haven't done that. Now, they got... They've drafted two tackles, so they've kind of addressed that position. Right. We're still looking to see what that center is going to look like. And then with Gabe Jackson and his knee issues, you sign Phil Haynes. We're going to see what happens in the interior. But you look at what these other teams are doing or what they've done to get to where they are today, and they have made it a point to get after these big boys. Now, I think these guys are moving in the right direction, and I think we'll figure out how close – or how quickly they're moving in that direction after this draft, after this, um, after free agency, March 15th. I don't think I've ever been this excited for free agency in a long time because of all the things you just mentioned. You got some money to play with. 
You have some draft capital that you can move around if you want to. I prefer that you use it. Those later drafts, you do what you want with them. And they're in a position they've never been in before. So that leads you just to wonder exactly how are they going to attack it. We know how we would attack it. Yeah, We would go and start with that defense, take care of that offensive line, and then sprinkle some other stuff in there. Maybe a quarterback late. I've seen the Hawks in a mock draft draft a quarterback as high as 20. I've seen him at 37. I've heard of hitting Hooker. I've seen Anthony Richardson. Uh, that's what we do during this time of year. But I think there is Two things that everybody, whether you are with us or against us, can agree on. Okay. It's all about the bigs. Yeah. O-line, D-line. Start with that defense. Is that one and two? That's one and two. (laughs) Yes. Point one, all about offensive line. Point two, all about defensive line. This is football, need I remind you. And while we all love uh, watching DK making real or fake videos, who can really say? Uh, No one really knows. Uh, what we do, what we do also love is uh, winning at the line of scrimmage, and that's something Seattle hasn't been able to do consistently. Curtis, you noted that um, specifically with center, it's been an ongoing issue really since Max Unger was traded away for Jimmy Graham. They haven't found a long-term answer there, and I couldn't help. It's a recency bias that I can't help but compare to Philadelphia, where they've had uh, at least two offensive line groups that have been there, or uh, positions that have been there for years and years and years and years, and that kind of consistency keeps you competitive. Yeah, and I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of continuity on the Seahawks offensive line throughout Pete and John's tenure here in Seattle. Uh, It's been a lot of different names, different, you know, players every single year. Uh, I think back to the most successful offensive line in Seahawks history, and that's obviously Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson, which was a different regime here in Seattle. Those was the Mike Holmgren era, but there was so much continuity on that group. Like, it was the same starting five every single year for like three or four years in a row. And they just kind of grew together and, and played together and obviously won a lot of games together uh, here in, in Seattle. And uh, there just hasn't been that with the Seahawks. And it's just been kind of a mm-hmm. rotating cast of characters at pretty much all five positions on the line. Yeah, and what's weird is, Bump, they've made efforts to address it. Those efforts just haven't paid off. And they've kind of been like – um like a whack-a-mole, like here's an issue we're going to address. That Here's what I mean. It was like um, in 2017, the run game couldn't get going at all. You had absolutely no success there. So it was like, okay, 2018, uh, we're going to take off. We're going to invest in a great pass-blocking tight end. We're going to invest in a great run uh, run blocking guard in DJ Fluker, and then we're going to have a 1,000-yard season from a rushing, uh, running back. And you did. Um, but you didn't stick with Fluker. You moved on from Fluker, and and then it became, okay, Russell Wilson wants more protection, so let's invest in Gabe Jackson, and let's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it felt like, okay, here's a here's a hole that opened in the boat where water is coming in. Let's plug that. And it, it never really got to be, let's get an elite talent on the offensive line and not move him and have, them, have him there, and he's a franchise spot. The closest you got to it was Dwayne Brown, who you didn't right. draft, uh, who you traded for, so you do get credit, of course, for doing that, and who you also extended at one point to keep him here. But he was your most consistent and top-performing offensive lineman for the entirety of his time here. Every single year graded out from Pro Football Focus, I'm using one source, but from Pro Football Focus as your highest-graded offensive lineman. That's the thing is you can point to different groups of linemen and say, all right, there's a guy who was pretty good. Okay, there's another guy who was pretty good in a different group. We haven't been able to look at the five and say, all right, these guys are good to go. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the Pro Bowl offensive linemen this team has had. You had Max Unger in 2012 and 2013. We have not seen a center be a Pro Bowl type of dude since then. 
Um, you have Russell Okung in 2012. Of course, you got Walter Jones, the mm-hmm. GOAT. Uh, but then you look at all the other offensive line positions. There's nobody out there. Okay, you got Gar, you got Hutchinson in 03 and 05. So I think what the problem has been with the Seahawks is finding the right combination of guys. Because last year, you can say, okay, the tackles did pretty good, yeah, but the center, center and the guard, and, and, and had, had some issues there. Damian Lewis is going to be fine. You talk about Dwayne Brown one year, you can go to Russell Okung another year. But you haven't had that group of dudes who can get it done since Sean Alexander in back in the day. But I really look at the last year's draft and say, okay, they're they're moving in the right direction. You have two guys who are going to be here for a while. I think Damian's good. I think you have three out of the five pieces you need mm-hmm. right now. But it's all about availability on that offensive line, any any position really in football. And Gabe Jackson has been banged up. Phil Haynes was just signed. I don't think he's your everyday type of deal. No. Even, even though when he did play, I think he had like a 94% pass rate or something like that. Top 20 in the league when he was playing. So he showed that he can do – he can fill in. But you got to go out and spit. I don't think you improve this offensive line – in the draft. You improve it in the draft, but you don't go and get you have to go out and acquire a stud right now, yeah. ready to go. It's gonna be hard to have two second year guys and a first year guy on that offensive line and expect them to perform at an extremely high level. So they got some work to do. Uh, from the seven seven five, good thing we drafted D Eskridge, the pick before Creed Humphreys. Okay, look, let's start the day positively. You know what I mean? I'll get to the negative stuff eventually because it's who I am at my core, but like let's start <laughs> let's start positive and let's start happy. And let's move to the defensive line as well. We know what they need to do on the offensive line. You need interior help. You need to find your center, whether it's in free agency, whether that's in the draft, wherever it is, you need some help there. Um, if we go to the defensive line, you need even more help, <laughs> right? Like you have been more inconsistent on defense than than on offense over the last several years. And considering how many people say like, oh, we, we want this team to be like a, a defensive minded team right. and just get whoever at quarterback and then make a great defense. If that's the approach you want to take, then you need a really great defense and a lot invested in it. And here's what worries me, Bump. This team has tried to invest in defense. Mm-hmm. They've had LJ Collier as a first round pick. Malik McDowell as a second round pick, right? You've had Rasheem Green as a third round pick. You've had guys that you've taken in drafts and the only two that were really successful were Frank Clark, whom you tagged and traded, and uh, Jaron Reed, whom you, I think, left in free agency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was 2015 and 16, I think. Yeah. It's been a while. The The scary thing about the D-line is we have our favorites. Love me some Al Woods. Love me some Puna Ford. Shelby Harris is one of the funniest guys on this team. Facts. Quentin Jefferson, second stint here. Feeling them. Brian Monet, my type of dude, blue collar, but he blew his knee out. Don't know much about LJ Collier as far as his personality, but you look at these guys and you you become connected to them because they're our guys. They put on the jersey. They play for the hometown team. But when you break them down as players, I don't see anybody that you have to have next year. There's nobody that you have to have. Um, if Al Woods was 30 years old, I'd say, yeah, you have to have him. But I know he's getting older, man. We sat down with Al Woods. He likes to go home and kick it and chill. He's entering a different part in his life. The only places I see on that D-line, if you add the edge rushers to outside backers, is Daryl Taylor and um, and Jen Nwosu. I think those are the dudes you need to have. So when you can look at a specific group and you could say, I can do without all of those guys, not all at one time, obviously, but if you were to pick and pull guys out of there, um, you can go to every guy and say, I don't think we necessarily need him to be successful. You can sacrifice him for someone else. Not a knock on those dudes, but 
you talk about the combination. You need the right combination of dudes. Al Woods at 28 years old, for sure. Shelby Harris yeah. at five million for show, but that's not the situation. But Al Woods in his thirties and Shelby at twelve million. Exactly, it's, and that's just the business. It's not a personal thing. It's not that these guys can't play. There's a combination that needs to happen. The money has to be right. The age has to be right. The skill has to be right. And then you need the right people surrounding these guys. Those interior linemen just need some help, and you need some new bodies in here. Well, and you don't need to go out and get, um, you know, like 12 Hassan Reddicks and uh, and Deron Paynes. And by the way, we're going to be talking about why Payne is a name you need to be watching very, very closely as the franchise tag window opens. That's coming up a bit later on the show. Before we get to that, you don't need to have everyone be a pro bowler. Like if I said, you know, hey, the best defensive line in football was Philadelphia last year, and then I asked – not you, Bump, someone who knows football very well, but like you, uh, random person, or like me, or whatever. Hey, name every single Philadelphia Eagles defensive lineman. I'd be like, well, shoot, I can give you four. I can give you, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but like I couldn't tell you the backups who's part of the rotation. I couldn't tell you who's like the guy that spells for like a, a third down rush, you know, like I, I couldn't tell you that because not every single one of those guys is a superstar, but every single one can contribute. And that's where Seattle needs to find themselves because right now they got a bunch of guys who like, can contribute, but no superstars. Yeah. And um, to shift back to the offensive line, Mm -hmm. my guy Mike A. in Federal Way, he goes, Bump, for some reason I think Damian, he thinks he's just an average player, right? And he hasn't really reached his potential yet. Goes to your point. You need average players in the mix as well. Average is okay. You're not you're not gonna find five Pro Bowlers on that offensive line. Even when Sean Alexander was doing his thing, you still had Locklear, who wasn't a mm-hmm. Pro Bowler, but a very good offensive Catching lineman. Straight, but okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and Lock is my dude. Lock is my dude. Of Play course. golf with him all of the time. Course, no, yeah. no disrespect, Lock. No, no, you know no. I love you. We baby. get what you're saying. Yeah, but we're saying like there's Pro Bowlers and there are guys who yeah. can just get the job yep. done, who aren't gonna dominate um, every single play. They're gonna have their moments, and that's what you need. And I think Damian Lewis has had his moments as well so you got to find the combination youth you got to pay somebody everyone else needs to be average pay scale and find a, a unit that gels together beautifully um it's uh something that they absolutely need to address someone pointing out uh jaron reed would not restructure i was trying to remember what that was about uh clark traded for picks and then traded back for more picks so clark traded for nearly an entire draft class yeah but you haven't the the point is, yeah, you got picks out of that, but I think out of the following draft in 2019, I want to say you got LJ Collier. So you, the entire thing is it doesn't matter what picks you got. You had a good defensive lineman, and then you didn't. And that's kind of where I'm stuck looking at Seattle, right, is like we can go back and do this like ex post facto, try to like apply our own logic to past things and Mm -hmm. be like, oh, but this ended up being okay in hindsight because Frank Clark isn't like a perennial all pro and hasn't had 14 sacks in a regular season since then. Yeah, you're right. But it still has been true that you have not had a defensive lineman that you've drafted that's been better than him or more productive than him. The last time any defensive lineman had double-digit sacks for you, and I want to say, did Jamal get 10 or 9.5? Does anyone know offhand? I can't quite remember. Jamal Adams? It might be the last time a defensive. Okay. I was going to say maybe the last time a defensive player, but certainly the last time a defensive lineman or anyone in your front seven got double-digit sacks was in that year with the two of them. That has not happened since. Mm-hmm. So the truth is the truth. It is what they it is. just got to figure out how to fix it because you got to win in the trenches. Let me tell you what. Uh, all right, let's get to headline rewrites. 
Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. <laughs> Headline number one. At the end of yesterday's show, the Seahawks announced they've re-signed Phil Haynes to a one-year deal and will reportedly bring back special teams ace and captain Nick Ballor, who's a meme lord, by the way. Uh-huh. What's the real headline? Not every important move is a sexy one. I know that sometimes the moves that we want to see happen early in free agency, no matter the sport we love and follow, are the really big ones. They get our heart racing and get our juices flowing for the start of the new season. But bringing back Phil Haynes, who was able to spell Gabe Jackson so often, bringing back Nick Ballor, who's such a huge contributor on special teams, are both important moves. They're not huge investments. They're not big risks. They're just things that we thought this team needed to do, and they did it. Checked it off the list. There are more people on football rosters that are similar to Phil Haynes and Nick Ballore than there are the superstars out there. So it's easy to look at your top five to eight players and say, man, why don't we make a move like that? Moves like this are necessary. Phil Haynes is going to get reps. He's going to compete for a starting spot if you don't bring a guy in. He's going to back up the starter if you do bring a guy in. And a guy like Nick Ballore does so much for a football team. I'm actually going to break him down on four down territory and tell you why. This was a good pick, something that you need to do. So there, there are a lot of Nick Ballore and, and Phil Haynes in the league when it comes to personality and how they contribute. There's not too many Nick Ballors when we talk about fullbacks and linebackers out there, but he's a piece you need on your on your squad. So congrats, Seattle, got that one done. Headline rewrites. Curtis, by the way, someone said that um, if it helps, Wyman and Bob thought the DK Metcalf video was real too. I don't know if that's a feather in your cap, Stacey. Well, I'm just that saying helps. I wasn't yeah. alone and just kind of wondering I think openly there's... whether it was real. I just yeah, asked the know. question. I just threw it out there. I just said, what do you guys think? You know? And yeah. we told you what we thought. Yeah, and then I said, totally. I totally agree. I don't think you said that. I think I said that. <laughs> I Roll the you, tape. I Roll thought, the tape. I think you What's the next headline, Curtis? your feet and cried about it. You were crybaby <laughs> Stacey again. Headline Curtis, number stop two. stop calling me crybaby <laughs> Stacey. I haven't been crybaby Stacey for years. <laughs> Headline number two, the New York Post is reporting Apple TV has emerged as a potential landing spot for Pac-12 football in their ongoing media rights negotiations. What's the real headline? Fitting that they join a platform with original series like Severance, Shrinking, and We Crashed. Yeah. Oh, it really like that's it. real stuff. That's, those are real shows. Yeah, they're all really good. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I recommend Severance. Absolutely, it's so good. It's not about. Uh, yeah, Tay is giving me a thumbs up back there. Uh, it's um, something that I think we saw coming. We thought that Apple Plus would end up being the one option that was left because Amazon would have its eyes on branching out to other leagues like the NBA and may not want to give the NCAA, specifically the Pac-12, that kind of money. Uh, obviously, CBS and Turner pulled out. Whether or not they were ever that serious was in question. But bump, I think you saw this one coming yeah you saw it coming and apple has all the leverage in this situation because the pac-12 is the only power five conference without a new tv deal and apple knows that what they've done with the mls a 10-year deal worth 2.5 billion obviously it will be more messing with the ncaa but um it's leverage and apple has it and because we waited so long because we've handled this situation horribly because usc and ucla have left we're literally as a conference is sitting here begging without begging it's like well my kids i'm eating something and my kids mm-hmm. want some of it and they're not gonna say they want some they're just gonna look at me with what those eyes be like dad oh that looks good yeah <laughs> oh you got that from the refrigerator where'd you get that from they're, they're sitting there telling you they want they want that you want to be a part of that that's the situation we're in right now. Just get something done, yeah. please. Anyone who's ever been on a date where, like, you order something that the person you're with probably wants, and they're just, that looks good. Yeah. Yum. Wow, they give you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a lot of fries. Oh, that smells 
Marvelous. Smells amazing. My goodness. Wow. I think my one hope with this is that it's not just Apple TV Plus that gets the Pac-12 because I believe only 40 million households worldwide have Apple TV Plus, which is, I mean, it's a huge number. But the distribution numbers of like ESPN and Fox are way more just in the United States yeah. than that 40 million well, number. And I think what I also have to remind myself is it is important that everyone be exposed to your product and that become as easy as possible. And while I can go to my smart TV and turn on Apple Plus and tune in to watch games and it feels very easy, I have still been teaching my mom for months now how to use her Amazon Fire Stick uh, to like open up different apps. So like for some people, <laughs> it's not going to be that easy. And that's not meant to like tease or make fun of anyone, but to say that like you should make it as easy as possible to access your product and moving it to Apple, you would think makes it easy, but it doesn't for a lot of people. Doesn't most of us stream though. Most of us do. Most of us stream. And that's I feel like that's where entertainment is going anywhere. So there has to be a generation that that struggles. And unfortunately it looks like my mom and your mom I know. and my grandma are gonna be the ones who struggle with it. I just it. wish that like Curtis said there was another option. There's an option where I can go and watch and stream it and that's fantastic. But then there's an option where like if you're someone that's like I just want to turn on my TV and leave it on in the background, it's there. It's look at it. It's on ESPN. How many how many people do you know with just like old school cable going right now? Um I don't know. Probably more than I think, but Yeah. I I honestly can't think of any people. Now I don't hang out with a lot of people that yeah. are like over fifty or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I I just don't think I mean my grandma streams. She's streaming the show right now. What's up, grandma? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's definitely not easy to, to find it already. It's already hard to find it. Headline rewrite. Headline number three, Brock Purdy has been having inflammation in his elbow and doctors are recommending he postponed UCL surgery. What's the real headline? What's it look like when a great team doesn't have a quarterback? The 49ers are about to find out. The 49ers have had, where did I put it out? All right, since 2017, they had three starters, 18 three starters, 2023 starters, 2021 two starters, 2022 three starters. They've gone six seasons and only one year where they've had a guy start every game throughout that year. There's something about the 49ers. I started thinking about the Babe Ruth curves and Red Sox mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I'm like, what's going on with the 49ers? I hope Brock Purdy figures this thing out. There's two ways he can go. There's Tommy John's going to last about a year. Then there's a repair surgery. That'll be about, what, four to six months or something like that. And they're not going to know really what's wrong until they open his elbow up and get inside there. So I could imagine the situation that Brock Purdy is in right now. The uncertainty is crazy. You had a good year as a rookie you feel like you can play in this league then unfortunately your season ends like this so i'm hoping the best for brock purdy as a as an athlete as a human being obviously if he's not the guy with the niners that helps this division out the seattle kraken are trying to make it to the playoffs for the first time but do they need to make a trade to get there let's ask kraken insider andy eyed he joins us next Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. The Kraken beat the Red Wings on Saturday. We're shut out by the Sharks on Sunday. Next up is the Bruins. That game happening tomorrow, 7 p.m. Before we get to a preview, let's talk about where this Kraken team stands ahead of the NHL trade deadline. Kraken insider Andy I joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Andy, how's it going? going pretty good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Uh, I'm just going to start with uh, a simple question. What's working for this team right now? Well, it's, it's pretty much the same as it has been. You know, just their depth uh, 
there was a stretch there after Andre Burkowski got hurt when they weren't scoring, but they have been getting guys stepping up, uh, namely Everly, uh, Yanni Gord, Matty Beneers is back to scoring. So that, that's that been huge. Uh, of course, it's funny saying that after getting shut out by San Jose, but, <laughs> but overall, those guys have been playing better. Yeah, that San Jose loss was uh, surprising to me. San Jose, not a very good team. Uh, what was it? I mean, was there something you can, one thing you can point your finger to, or was there just a a combination of just bad play out there? I think it was a combination. It was a, it was not a good game. Uh, they, and you're right, San Jose. That was only their sixth win at home all year. Uh, you know, it was an earlier game. It was a one o'clock matinee on Monday. Uh, you know, all their dads were in town, and that's a game. Uh, they they have a big game coming up, so it was kind of a trap game. Uh, you know, a number of those things. Of course, nobody on the team would say that, you know, the, the earlier time or anything had to do with it, that they just played flat. But they, they look sluggish all, all, right from the get-go. It's kind of a boring game, too. Is there anything that can be fixed? And also, is there anything that can be fixed via a trade? Um, you know, it, I'm very curious what this team's going to do with trade deadline. It's a lot different than last year when they sold a bunch of guys. Uh, this year, I, I don't, I still don't expect them to make any kind of major earth-shattering moves. I think anything you see will be will be a depth move. I think they could possibly use a guy up front, a depth guy. I, I don't know that you're going to break up the lineup that currently are running out there, though. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who that player is going to be. Uh, you know, there were there were rumors that you know Jonathan Tate from Chicago might come, but that that's been squashed. Uh, you know, any of the big free agents, the Timo Myers that are out there, the Patrick Cades. I don't see coming to Seattle. So I think it'll be a relatively quiet day. Now they could surprise, but I just think general manager Ron Francis, his MO is not to make those big splashy moves. I can't see him wanting to give up future assets for this year. We've been trying to figure out this, uh, this goaltending situation, man. And it seems like Grubauer has been playing good as of late. Um, he's won with three out of his last four starts. Um, what are your thoughts on him and how he's been able to turn a corner and progress throughout the year? Yeah, he's been great. I, I think he's back to being the number one goaltender just by looking at how uh, Dave Haxall has used them. He had four straight starts, which was a big test for me because he's been playing well basically since the start of the year. Uh, you know, but he'd been one start here and there, and then he'd have some time off. But those four starts in a row, when he made that four start in a row against Detroit, I was kind of nervous. Like, let's see how he does here. This will be the first real test back from where he got injured. Can he play that many starts in a row? And he played great. So I think from here until further notice, he's your number one goalie. He's going to get the bulk of the starts, and he looks really good. He looks like he's kind of figured out uh, his game and how to play with the team. Uh, the question about just goaltending in general, man, I can imagine. I look at goalies and um, and catchers in uh, in the MLB. Like, how tough is that on your body? What are some of the common injuries these guys leave the game with? Uh, a lot of hip injuries, uh, any kind of and leg injuries, because you know you're constantly getting down on your knees and having to pop right back up, you know, up and down, up and down. So those are kind of the injuries you see every now and then you'll see a fluke injury where, where a puckle hits you like in your shoulder or something. But generally you'll see hips, knees, things like that are what goes out on a goaltender first. Uh, you know, it's a, it is a rough sport. It is a rough position. I should say it's tough mentally just as much as it is physically too, because everyone sees the goal go in and you're the last line of defense. So you get the finger pointed at you a lot, but it's not always their fault. Uh, Goalies like to joke that five guys had to make a mistake before the puck even got to them. <laughs> so while, while that is a joke, there is some truth to that. You know, you gotta, it's, a, it's a team sport. It's a team 
position, and uh, you know you got to be able to handle that, uh, that that scrutiny when the goal goes in. Hey, kind of stepping outside of you know looking at the day to day of this team, I wanted to talk about just your time covering this team. I mean, we're in year two, looking at the Kraken right now, and you've had. Plenty of interviews, plenty of stories that you've covered. Um, it could be this year or last, but what's been uh, one of your favorite, you know, interviews that you've had uh, with a player on this team where you just left feeling like, wow, this is a fascinating guy. I really, really enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, er- earlier in the year, I did a story on the, the city of Irma, Alberta, which is a small city outside of Edmonton. There's 500 people living there. But for that 500 people, you have the crack of second-round pick, Jagger Furcus is from there. Carson Soucy is from there. And playing down for the Thunderbirds, their goaltender, Scott Rasloff, is from there. So you have three guys playing you know, connected to Seattle via hockey from this tiny little town of 500 people. And, and they all know each other because they've all grown up either knowing brothers. Uh, Carson Soucy is Scott Rasloff's cousin, which I didn't know. Wow. Uh, and I felt kind of dumb asking him, like, you know that kid that hasn't played for the Thunderbirds? He's like, yeah, he's my cousin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know him well. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that was a fun story. It was fun talking to Susie about this little town where apparently sports is a big thing. They they, they really like their baseball stadium. Uh, they all talked about it a bunch of times. So, uh, yeah, so Irma, Alberta, uh, learning about Irma, Alberta, has been one of my favorites so far this year. I like the idea of that many people being from the same small town, too. It's like 20% of the population goes pro. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's really kind of crazy to think about. And they all ended up in Seattle. So, so it's, I thought that was kind of fascinating story. And you always associate the NHL with the NBA because they get into the playoffs kind of around the same time, right? And I, yeah. I, I would assume that the GMs and coaches have the same sense of urgency when it comes to the second half of play. If there was something that you needed to crack into to get right during the second half of play to make a push into the playoffs, what would that be? I, I think just stay consistent. You know, they 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 dropped a bad game on on uh, Monday, but just keep going. Don't let that get to them. They have a couple two tough games this week with Boston and Toronto. But if they can just stay consistent, keep racking up points. Right now, part of the year is just getting points. Getting points in the standings is number one priority. So even if that's an overtime loss or a shootout loss, just get the points because everything is so tight in the standings that mm-hmm. a point can end up making the difference. I don't want to project too much because, again, we just saw them lose to the Sharks and bump, as you noted. <laughs> that wasn't something we were really expecting. But mm. where are the opportunities for those points coming up here uh, in the schedule? Well, these next two games are going to be tough. Uh, you know, Boston's Boston. They're still the number one team in the league. Toronto's very good. They just made a big trade. But after that, the Kraken have, I, I believe, it's the third easiest schedule as far as teams they have to play. Nice. So there, there is an opportunity here to just to rack up a ton of points. Uh, unfortunately, I think Vegas has a similar schedule, so that doesn't really help them catch Vegas. But uh, you know, if they just keep gaining points, like I said, and they take care of themselves with those teams and not have you know repeat of what we saw in San Jose. You know, against a bad team, then they should be fine. Andy had a dream last night. <laughs> it was a hockey dream. Oh I was a hockey player. You know okay. what happened to me in my dream? I scored a goal. I had an assist, uh-huh. and I got in a fight. Wow! That's a good old Gordy Howe hat trick. When's the good last time you seen one of those, there, Andy? Uh, I think there was one earlier this season from the crack. I forget who had it. But you see those from time to time. Funny, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Gordy Howe, I think, never had that happen. <laughs> He's never had that happen? I, I believe he never has, or he's wow. only had one, and they, they named it after him. But, uh, Disappointing. You know, the, play, the players are aware of that, because I remember talking to a guy once who 
thought he had one, but they only gave him double minor for roughing instead of fighting. He was very disappointed. <laughs> He's like, no, that was a fight. <laughs> so, <You> count that. <laughs> yeah. Didn't get his Gordy Howe hat trick, but that is always exciting when you when you see when you had a game, you see a guy who's been, like maybe been in a fight and has a goal. You're like, oh, he's just one assist away. Not quite like hitting for the cycle, but it's always still kind of fun to talk about. I love it. I'm looking for it. I know you've got. By the way, <laughs> uh, I'm sticking on this topic. I find that um, the questions I always hear from people that don't watch a ton of hockey are like, why is fighting such a big thing with hockey? Like, why is it allowed? Why does it happen all the time? Why is it like part of the hockey mm-hmm. culture? I'm sure you get those questions a lot. What do you say? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to point out that there's not as much fighting as there used to be. Like, you go back to the 90s and yeah, great and before that, you had a lot more fighting. In fact, there were guys who would just fight for no reason. Like, oh, you're the, you're the fighter for that team. I'm mm-hmm. the fighter for my team to fight. Now it's more like something has happened that causes a fight now, which which is, is more palatable. Uh, I think the reason they, they let it happen is they're worried if you stop it, something bad might happen later, something more dirty, somebody might get frustrated and... You know, and getting hit or somebody, you know, they're already hit for the head or behind or something. So let them get it out of their system. Usually they don't fight twice. Usually once they fight, they go their separate ways and they're okay. They don't want anything else to do with that person. So I think that's kind of why it's allowed. Um, there, there's an argument that some of the old school folks will say that it's part of it's woven into the fabric of the game, so you can't get rid of it altogether. And I think the NHL has done a pretty good job of lowering it down to where it's, it's kind of more acceptable than, than maybe what it was. You, mm. You're not making a roster unless you can actually play hockey now, where that wasn't always the case. Interesting, interesting. Uh, he is cracking insider Andy Eyed. Uh, Andy, learned a lot from this one, uh, not just uh, for people who you know are still learning hockey, but for, uh, for mm. anyone who's looking at how the Kraken can uh, keep their playoff run going here, in here. Really insightful stuff. You can read more from Andy on seattlesports.com. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. My pleasure. You guys have a good one. You too. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Guys, I always say that you need an emergency option, mm-hmm. right? You have plan A, and it might be uh, I'm going to get to my destination, or I'm going to go here for dinner, or I'm going to have this party being thrown. And then you have a wrench thrown into your plans. Maybe it snows. Maybe you can't drive there. Maybe the, the party supply place is closed. Whatever it is, you need a backup plan. Well, guess what? We saw some news yesterday when it comes to the franchise tag, and now we think the Seahawks might need a backup plan. We'll tell you what we, we mean next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. All right, guys, when you are planning something important, you need to make sure you have a backup plan, right? Everyone knows this. Now, that could be just living. Maybe there's an earthquake. Maybe your car breaks down. Maybe um, there's a zombie apocalypse. You need to make sure you have an emergency kit in your house. Uh, likewise, if you are planning on a big surprise celebration, you got to make sure that you have a plan B ready, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the backup option. Here's the restaurant that we can go to if this place is full. Whatever it is, the Seahawks and free agency are no different. In fact, we found out yesterday a tidbit of news that's going to affect a lot of your guys' wish list for free agency. Deron Payne, you've seen his name thrown around a ton. A defensive lineman for the Washington Commanders. He played on a fifth-year option, is set to become an unrestricted free agent. Had a fantastic year, a career year last year. And bump, I've seen so many people say, oh my God, Deron Payne in Seattle. Think of what it could be. Well, guys, 
I got bad news. The league's franchise tag window opened yesterday, and according to multiple sources, people covering the team, national outlets like The Athletic, the commanders are widely expected to use the franchise tag on Deron Payne. It does not keep them from trading him. It does not keep another team from potentially signing him, though that's very, very uncommon given the draft capital you give up. Um it does pretty much take him off your free agency wish list. So what I thought we'd do is look at plan A and plan B for a couple different uh, moves that we want the Seahawks to make. So let's start with Jerome Payne bump. If plan A for a lot of people was to get Jerome Payne and he ends up being franchise tagged, which hasn't happened yet but is expected to, then what's the backup option and is that still a fit for Seattle? First is how I like Jerome Payne. Like this guy – can play five yes. seasons. He had 11 sacks last year. That's three times his uh, his best year. What was a year before? He had five passes defended. He only missed one game in his whole career. This guy has longevity. You understand why you want him on your team. He uh he messes stuff up mm-hmm. in the in the PG way of saying that radio friendly edit. radio friendly he messes stuff up. So now, what would be your plan B? This is a guy we both talked about a lot. It's Hargrave over there with yeah. the Philadelphia Eagles. Right in total pressures, he's third. Sacks at disposition, he's fourth. And uh, pass rush, Russ win, he's fifth. So this guy gets her done. He and he has that that championship caliber. Right, he's been there, he's done it. He's played in the big game. He knows what it looks like. But I have a, a plan. B2, I guess, as well. Oh. And uh, it's a guy that I've talked about before. It's uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, the guy from the Vikings. Started off with the New York Jets, excuse me, New York Giants. The thing about him is they moved back his void date um, until March 15th. So it gives him time to try to work out a contract. So just like we're looking at Deron Payne, like, okay, that looks good. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're probably going to franchise tag him because he's that important. I'm looking at Dalvin Tomlinson, the guy who was number two on my list, and they're saying, look, let's extend this date so we can try to figure something out. He started all 30 games for the Vikings since 2021. I always look at longevity. How long can these guys play and be around? 42 tackles, two and a half sacks. So those are my my plan Bs. Hargrave, which is going to require a bit of money. Yep. And then uh, Dalvin Thomason, who's going to be around $8 million if you do grab him. But it looks like the Vikings are going to try to work something out there as well. So let's talk about quarterback a little bit. Uh, plan A for some people uh, kind of varies down the middle. Let's say it's a 50-50 split with some people being like, would love to bring back Geno. Some people saying roll with Drew. And I would say the bulk of people wanting um, – you know, at least one of them on the roster. So what I'm looking at as a wrench thrown into the plan is Dave Canales out in Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. We talked about how the Seahawks former quarterback coach, now offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, could have his eye on one of these guys in free agency to bring out to Tampa who badly need a quarterback. So let's talk about the backup plan at quarterback for Seattle, wherever you want to go with it. The backup plan as of right now has to be Drew Locke, but you mentioned that Canales is over there. He's going to be looking at him. What does Drew Locke bring to the table? He knows the offense. He has all the physical tools. It's about him getting the the mental stuff down, and he showed that he can be a good teammate. It's not easy to come over here to a situation where you feel like you're going to be able to compete. You get a chance to compete, then you get COVID, and now you're behind, and it looks like the race is over before it even started because Geno is the guy. So it has to be Drew Locke, but if you don't get Drew Locke, you mentioned a name in the show emails. Um, you said Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold will be around $5.1 million. That's his, uh, his value. In five years, he's played for two teams. The thing that scares me about Darnold is exactly that. Five years, two teams. Maybe he needs to sit a little bit. Mm. Maybe he needs to get the his Drew Locke on, his Geno on, and sit a little bit and try to figure some things out. There's a name that's just wild to me. I go, okay, well, if you don't go Drew Locke, 
and you don't go after a veteran, there's two other situations for me. Okay. One is just get a quarterback on league minimum and just go. And I'm looking at Tyler Huntley, pro bowler. Stop. Pro bowler, Tyler <laughs> Huntley. Go hey, he's a pro bowler. Hey, he's a pro bowler. pro bowler. But, you know, is not really a pro bowler. He did. No, Bump, you don't take that away from right, him. He bad. is really bad, a pro Tyler. bowler. The only thing that attracts me to him is that he's mobile. All right? sure. he, he, can, he can extend some important, plays. Very important. But what you should do if Drew's gone, if Geno's gone, sure. now you fully commit to the draft. Now you say, I really got to go get a quarterback. You're better off submitting and saying, look, we're going to rebuild. We're going to develop in this position and still add pieces around them. That's when you go to the draft and you might use that number five pick for a QB because Drew has familiarity. Gino has familiarity. Sam Darnold scares me because two years, I mean, excuse me, five teams in two mm-hmm. years, we've seen who he is already. Tyler Huntley is just a, a fun one. Why not bring yep. him in to compete? Maybe compete with the rookie that you draft with that number five pick if you go that route. So I think those are scenarios that you have to deal with if um, if Gino and Drew are out of here. Uh, I had one more that was about center. Do you want to do that or did you have yeah. a different one yep. you wanted you to do? Center? Center? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is based on a four down territory you had a while ago where you were like, hey, it's a reach. But in my dream world, if he doesn't retire, I'd love to see like a Jason Kelsey type here. So if plan A is going out to get a tested, experienced veteran center who was great, I'm talking pro bowl or maybe an all pro and spending there. What's plan B? All right. Plan A would be uh, Kelsey. That's my guy. The best center in the game right now. Plan B would be to draft a center. But center is so tough. It's like being a quarterback out there. They're guys who can come in and be serviceable their rookie year as a center. Uh, but also you got to bring in some guys to compete with them. I love the kid over there in Minnesota, Garrett Bradbury. He will require $11 million. But then here's here's a funny one. Connor McGovern. Two of them things in the league right now. I'm sorry, what? Connor McGovern. There's two Connor There's two McGovern's? Connor McGovern's in the league right now. <laughs> one plays for Dallas. The plus side for him, he played in 842 snaps, 77% of the time. He can get in there. And then the Jets, Connor McGovern, he's going to be around $12.5 million. They're both centers? They're both both centers. That's Connor not, McGovern. That can't be right. Connor McGovern. Unless I, I looked it up wrong. Connor McGovern. There are two. There are two, yeah. There are two yeah. centers four in years the NFL the named Connor McGovern. Connor McGovern. Uh-huh. Crazy. I want Bradbury, though. I want Bradbury. Fair, fair. But hey, but uh, you know what? All else fails. Toss a coin up, pick up McGovern. And that's exactly what you do. <laughs> You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It's that time of the year when players are showing up to spring training and you start talking about who's in the best shape of his life. One name keeps popping up for Seattle, pitcher Marco Gonzalez, and he joins us next.